Hello, and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and normally talk about them with my friends. Uh, this week, however, I'm happy to be joined by one of my favorite film critics, Joey Magidson of AwardCircuit.com, to discuss Paul Dano's directorial debut, Wildlife. Joey, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. How's it going? Doing well, doing well. And uh, I, I, I'm excited to talk about this movie because it had been one that had been on my radar for a while. And I uh, just through your work, I know you had gotten to see it a while ago, but this is the first time I'm really getting to uh, dive in and discuss it. So I'm happy to be I'm ha- happy to be here with you. But um, as I mentioned earlier, Wildlife is Paul Dano's directorial debut. He uh, co-wrote the script with his partner Zoe Kazan as they adapted a 1990 Richard Ford novel at tells the story of Jerry and Jeanette Brinson, a couple who had moved to northern Montana with their 14-year-old son, Joe. It's uh, inferred that Jerry had, or implied that Jerry had moved the family a lot around for work, and he soon loses his new job as a golf pro, and uh, the family starts to have a lot of strain as uh, Jerry opts to leave Jeanette and Joe rather than take his old job back when it's offered, and it goes from there. Uh, Joey, I wanted to have you on because I know you've been a uh, pretty big champion in this movie for a while, and I think there's a good amount to unpack with it, but I guess uh, what I wanted to start with was just ask you if there's like a specific element or a through line of this movie or its story that just really uh, struck such a chord with you because there are a few things that really did stand out to me, but is there one thing that, like a big thing that you had, a a big takeaway that you had from it that really resonated with you? Oddly enough, there isn't one thing. I mean, honestly, it's the type of film that I, I could be hit or miss on. A couple of years ago, there was um, Ewan McGregor made American Pastoral, and it's not hugely dissimilar. But I, it didn't, that didn't do much for me at all. Like this film, honestly, the entryway was was Zoe Kazan and Paul Dano having liked their work, especially liking her work a lot. And then once you watch it, it's it's told in a very confident the wrong word because it's not a cocky directorial thing but there's such an admiration for small moments and shots that are a little bit different nothing's flashy in the movie but everything's just a little bit lived in and a little bit different and a little bit literary and it, the the final product just it builds on you there's no one moment i think in the film that really really blows you away it's just by the time it's ended you, you you oddly feel like you've gone through something in the same way the characters have yeah no i i definitely agree and i think one of the things that uh, stood out to me more than anything was that it's not exactly the most exciting movie from a standpoint of it's not necessarily action-packed and there are some very big emotional moments but I I think one thing that I just talked about this because I did a podcast with a friend last week on on mid-90s and talking about and we talked a little bit about first-time directors and I guess sometimes with them you might kind of see why it might be a first-time director's film uh there might be and one film i liked earlier this year a lot was thoroughbreds but there was like a lot of crazy camera work in that movie and it and it felt like the guy was uh trying to show how how many different fun ways he could move the camera which is fun to look at but also it almost takes away from what's on the screen in some certain ways and i thought the most important part about this movie was just actually the script and having these characters feel really identifiable and it's a small cast. You do really get to know a lot of them. Yeah. And I, 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 don't, I don't know if that's – and it, it seems like that is probably what made you most identify with it because you're, you're mentioning the, uh, the, the two writers. And I, I don't know. I, I really appreciated the script, and I thought that it, it did tell like a really – I don't know. I, I, sometimes I think with the movie you might just identify with it a lot because you can personally identify it. And I think what made me so impressed mm-hmm. is that I cannot personally identify with these characters. I, 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 one, I didn't grow up in a really rural area like that, but two, I, I, I rolled sevens on parents 
You know, yeah. I I had a pretty uh, good upbringing, and I never really had to go through anything like that of the sort. I never was forced to get a job to provide for my family. Yet I still felt like I really felt with I really felt for these characters. You know. Yeah. No, it's it's the same trick that uh, that a Bruce Springsteen feels uh, pulls. You can you can associate with an upbringing you didn't have. Hell, I mean, he he says he didn't have that upbringing in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a magic trick. Sorry, yeah. I'm, I'm quoting Springsteen on Broadway because I'm going to do that until I die. Oh, go for but, it. But. <laughs> um, yeah, no, there's, there's – when you talked about directorial debuts, I think especially with an actor who makes a directorial debut, there's a couple of types of versions that they make. There's the one where they want to move the camera around a lot and show that they're a filmmaker, and that can go a couple different directions. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's rough. There's the ones who like definitely learn something from a filmmaker. You know, They want to make their version of an X movie. Well, you could argue that if DiCaprio ever makes a movie, he's going to probably try to make a Scorsese movie just because it's what's he's, what he's been working with. In his brain a lot. But for for Dano, I like that it was more just, I think I know how to tell the story. Not that there was any particular, you know, angle that he took to it. I mean, when you listen to them talk about it, he wrote a draft, showed it to her. And she's like, honestly, you're a terrible writer. Can I can I work on this? <laughs> yeah. They worked separately on it and built it into this really great script. And then once he got on set with the actors, like he was able to to craft performances or give them the space to do the performances. I think that's his best skill is he's very observational as a filmmaker in some way that in the same way that like actors are observational or reactive. Like you go back to, um, Zach Braff, like Zach Braff is a very reactive actor, right? You know, I, I, I may like his films more than a lot of people do, but like his acting is very much based on what other people are doing. Dano's not necessarily that way, but his filmmaking gives a sort of reactive, look to things like there, there's a lot of scenes of people talking in this movie and processing information, especially the, the protagonist. You know, he's a younger, he's, he's not young, but he's, he's a, he's a child yeah. in the sense that else in the movie is an adult and they don't always talk down. No, but there are times they do. And as the movie progresses, you get the sense that he's understanding more and more about the situations, especially his parents are in and whether he talks about it or not, you, there's this look on his face the information and internalizing information with the expectation that you know that's going to come out later maybe not even in this movie you know the movie stops more than ends but there's the sense of this character has, has internalized everything and it's going to be who he is now right and i and that's and i actually really want to talk about the kid because i and, and i agree with you though because you i like that you made the point about uh leo and scorsese because i mean paul dano as an actor has worked with a, a lot of great directors and i think that's one thing people oh, are, hit on almost everyone yeah people are really pleasantly surprised when they saw this movie because they're like this is a guy who's worked with paul thomas anderson uh steve mcqueen and uh I don't know other other people that like Ryan Johnson, whoever, and it it easily could have just uh, turned into just what people were worried about was oh maybe this is just going to be trying to emulate a bunch of these guys and it, and it didn't feel like that and I agree with giving these actors uh, room to do their thing and I obviously want to talk about Carrie Mulligan but you you brought you brought up the the kid first I guess his name's Ed Oxenbold and I never heard of him and I didn't know going into the movie that it was going to be like largely told from his perspective I and I because I, I just I avoid learning as much about most movies as I can before going in and if you're going to tell a movie largely from the perspective of a kid and casting kid actors is it's not an easy thing to do, and it, it it would have ruined the movie if that kid wasn't watchable. Yeah, no, the only things I knew him from was he was in uh, Alexander and the No Good, Terrible, Very Bad Movie. Oh. <laughs> uh, and he was in uh, The Visit, you know, the uh, the oh, right, creepy right. movie. Yeah. Nothing remarkable on his part, but yeah, no, this was this was a 
great performance by him. His American accent's good. Um, there's, there's again, it's 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 a character who watches and listens and processes information and works as an audience surrogate. Like we observe things in the same way he does. There's a scene um, towards the the middle to end of the movie where he watches um, someone leave his mother's bedroom mm-hmm. and just the way that he observes it is the same way that we would like we're sort of walking in on something in process and and taking a second to figure out like what does this mean for them what does this mean for me yeah and that's obviously like a testament to the filmmaking too because i mean a lot of films don't allow you just the, the space to watch their characters process information you know it, it might just be even too dialogue heavy and they just keep moving and it takes its time in that regard but i think the cool thing about that and like you said it's very important that you get to watch uh watch joe in those moments but at the same time like he's just a very earnest kid and i mean for for, mm. an, for an australian actor to and i i was watching like an interview with them with i think with uh i, I don't I, it was i guess zoe or carrier one of them earlier and they said yeah we offered him a dialect coach and he's like no i'm good uh, so yeah. I, it's a very confident bold uh statement by him right there but an australian kid's able to just uh portray this very earnest uh midwestern kid that well is pretty impressive because he's just a kid that wants to do good and get a job to help the family and uh if if, if you don't really find him that innocent and earnest it I, I i don't think you feel for him as much and he really gets put through the ringer at, uh, throughout this movie and it's really impressive to watch yeah no everyone in this movie has cracks form in in what they've put out into the world you know for him it's it's the my life is Good, let's say. I don't think he thinks he has an amazing life. I don't think he has, thinks he has a bad life. But as he watches Strife, he starts to realize, like, I have I have a different upbringing than I thought I did. Just like um, Carrie Mulligan, who I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. Yeah. You know, she she has that, like, I'm, I'm, an, I'm a housewife. I'm a mother. Everything about this is the way I thought it should be. And as the cracks form, she even has that, like, tell me what I should do moment in the movie. For Gyllenhaal, he's, he's you know, a man's man type character who who would never admit you know he had pride is his issue we even see it when he doesn't take his job back but as the cracks form like how do i how do i reassert that i that i have a station in life and i'm not a, a failure that i'm not a disappointment to everyone and his his choice is a, is an odd one but it's one that you know he thinks is is the only choice even even bill camp's character like he's just sort of an upstanding member of society and as the cracks form because it's whether it's love or lust or you know desire for a connection that's different than he had like he starts to change these characters have these moments where they're not any longer who they they probably were fully confident they were when we started the movie and whether that's you know been building since beforehand or only moments in the film take it that's that's part of what makes it so good to me is like the literary aspect of how there there are seeds that were probably there before we got there and they they take root and they they sprout by the time we're done. Yeah, and I really like that point because I think my my biggest takeaway from the film was that in some ways to me because I uh, really enjoyed seeing things from Joe's perspective that as I kind of saw it as a movie about how like kids want to grow up until something happens and then they realize yep. that they don't. And that's largely because I mean at first he thinks it's kind of cool, you know. I get to I get to I mean not that he's necessarily looking down upon his dad at the point at which his dad loses his job. He's just excited to be able to feel like more of an adult and take on a job to yeah. help the family and he's totally fine with that to a certain extent but then and even once his dad goes there there's a period of time in the movie where it does seem like they are maybe going to get along okay when he I mean you know they're not going to get along okay because it's a movie and there has to be conflict yeah. but it, it it seems like it is for a minute and then uh once his once he doesn't feel like his mom is really necessarily providing 
the constant home. I mean, you could you could tell that he is he does get pretty worried, and I think it's just it's pretty cool how all those cracks that you mentioned do kind of I mean converge, and it really puts the kid in what feels like a very precarious situation. Yeah, he slowly he slowly gets in over his head. I mean, all the characters get in over their heads, and they're they're they have these moments of trying to figure out like, what do I do now? What this is is this the new normal? And if it is, how do I how do I navigate it? And for him, you know, he sort of acknowledges. He never quite says it, but I, I can't navigate it, and I'm not, frankly, supposed to navigate this. Like, I need, I need parents. I need functioning parents who are going to guide me through things. And I have a father who's absent at the moment, who's not an absentee father in the sense of like traditional absenteeism, but he's literally not here right now, right. and I need him here. And my mother is is drifting because of that, and she's getting attention from other people, and she's giving attention to other people when I I, I need, if anything, I need more attention. And not in a needy way, in, in the way of like I'm I'm experiencing things and I'm navigating life and I, I'm sort of rudderless because I don't have someone watching my my movements in the same way I did a couple months ago, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, and I want to and I want, that's that's where I did want to kind of talk about Carrie Mulligan some because I mean I think a lot of people say like oh yeah I mean we have a lot of movies about dysfunctional family these days but I think it, I think what really sets this movie apart is just what it does with that character. And because, yeah. I mean, one thing I, I mean, I thought about a couple of reference points as I was watching this movie. I, I thought about uh, mainly uh, Revolutionary Road and Blue Valentine. And mm. I thought with, but like specifically with like those movies, though, you're really in it with the couples, like pretty much the whole movie. And you're watching yeah. those relationships deteriorate just with them there. And, uh, and, and, I, and I enjoy going back to this early 60s time period because, again, it's something that's very different from what I grew up with. And uh, I, and obviously you're closer to my age than these characters too. It's, I mean, and while things are nowhere near as uh, equal for uh, women as they should be today in, in, in the workplace, it's certainly not like what it was then when they were just expected to just – you know, be the homemaker and you're you're approaching this time where they're kind of brushing up against that. But in something like revolutionary road, you know, I mean, it's basically, uh, Kate wins character, uh, becoming pregnant and just being like forced back into that. And they're all in it together. And that's where a lot of the conflict just really boils over. And here it's the exact opposite. And that one of the partners just straight up leaves. And that actually like provides a lot of opportunity for growth and change for, and largely, and, and that creates a lot of harm, and you get to see this woman character, actually, female character, actually not be perfect and be messy and not be the perfect homemaker. And because of the fact that the other partner's gone, and I thought that was just like a really unique thing that I did not think felt like any movie I had seen before. Yeah, no, they, there was there was something about this book that clearly inspired him, and it and it shows. It's not it's not any one element, but but like what you said, there's there's something about it that's different than we've ever seen in this type of film before. And I think these types of films, um, in broad, broad scope need the time period. Like if you made this movie and said it yesterday, it wouldn't work in the same way because I mean, you could, you could Skype your dad. There were, there's so many other is to occupy your time to connect with people. He, or he would, his dad would have even had a cell phone. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) These movies where people feel trapped, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, however it is, it they work best when you when you literally are trapped. Not to go back to Springsteen, but I will. Um, he tells a story about driving across country and they stopped in I think it was Memphis or Nashville and they lost two people. And he's like, and, and for the young people in the audience, this was nineteen sixty something, nineteen seventy. When you lost someone, they were gone. <laughs> 
couldn't, there was no device to contact them. If you couldn't find them anymore, erase them from your memory. You can, they are no longer part of your life. And it's a joke, also true in the sense of if you're alone and you can't contact anyone, you literally can't contact them. I'm sitting here right now, and if I'm lonely, I can pull this like thing in my hand that that is a a phone, it's a computer, it's a dating service. It brings you literally everything you want. You can push a button and food comes to you. <laughs> like it can do everything. Yeah. And yeah. when you remove that from the equation, it becomes a lot more about who's in your immediate circle. And when you only have for 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 Ed Oxenbold's character, you have two people in your circle. Then you have one person. Then you have two, but it's a different two. Then you have three when you've never had three before. Well, he also has any. Uh, ironically enough, he, he he makes friends with this girl at school, but I don't. It's almost like because he has all these outside pressures in life, she probably doesn't ever get into that circle. You know, I think it's no. she's there to show that like, wow, this is like. If everything was right, he would have like a really good connection with this person here, and it's it just not quite allowed to happen because of all these external forces. That's a character that like you get the sense of he would like to talk to his dad about this. Right. He never gets that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, and he certainly doesn't talk to his mom about it because she's really off doing her own thing anyway. And even if you would more want to talk to the dad about the girl, like his mom's just not there, or he is pulling away from this girl that wants to be friends with him because he's going to stalk his mom at this car dealership or something like that because he feels like that's something that he really needs to figure out before he takes the time to have friends Uh, this this odd responsibility to like fill in in different ways without the like ability to do it and the knowledge of how to do it right uh and i and i I did want to ask you now more though more specifically about uh carrie mulligan's performance because i mean i think you're probably in agreement with most and i think i am too that it might just be the best thing she's done and she's done a lot of really uh interesting things over the years uh what 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 did you make of that performance because i it's really impressive she has to do a a lot of different things like i said it's it's not just being that that mom i mean she's it's so much more than that and i think the most impressive thing about it is i don't think you find her as unlikable as she easily could be uh so so i'm curious what you what you made of all that I mean, I think it's the type of performance that you you need to build up to. I don't think we would be praising it as much if this was she'd made it when she made an education or something like that. Um, There's this like restrained dignity, and then when the when it breaks, it's more of a of a it it breaks in a different way than it would if it was a younger character or a less experienced actress. I think it's it's not to make a one to one comparison, but in the same way that sometimes, honestly, I'll I'll not respond to a performance in the same way a lot of people will like um every third meryl street performance that sure. everyone says is, is the best but it's because she has this like restrained people are uh, are essentially glenn Close oscar this year i think she's very good in the wife but it's the same thing there's there's this like explosion of like of from this like very proper feeling and i think veteran actresses give it and i think carrie mulgan's got to that point where she's able to do that she has the gravitas yeah, I, I recently watched uh, Shame for the first time, and yeah. it was like a bigger performance than most of the other stuff I had seen from her. I like I I really love an education as a movie, but it's um it it is in some way more restrained. I mean, that's largely about that. I mean, character um, experiencing a lot of new things, and it takes on some different elements as that movie goes on, or um, something like Mudbound, or something. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I I really randomly like her in the one episode of Doctor Who that she did, and I've, I haven't watched Doctor Who in a while, but like I've seen that. Like I, so I'd seen her do some different things, but I, I I do kind of agree is that like you get used to seeing an actor do something like that, and then 
it, it, I think the second half of this movie, like she is doing something really big and explosive, almost like that character just kind of like roars onto the screen in shame. But you, you didn't have as big of a relationship with her at that point when that movie yeah. probably came out for those people seeing it for the first time then. So here it's you're kind of almost think it's in a more traditional Carrie Mulligan mode and then it turns into something else. And it's, it, it's like, wow, uh, she's really going for it. Yeah, um, you've, built up, you've built up enough of a relationship with the character that when she breaks – you you feel like you've broken a little bit too. It's and it's not an actress showing off or going big. It's it's the natural evolution of this character and what he's suffering through. But she's watching. She makes her son watch her break. You know, like yeah. I think she could have easily well, make awful choices. Also, like everyone in the movie. Well, yeah, no, like she definitely does. But it's interesting that she uh, she isn't showing it off the the night that she actually has. Um, has Bill Camp come over to their house? It's not like she's doing it in his face, but when they go to his house, um, she yeah. is really uh, making Joe watch a lot more than she could actually have to. And I, I don't know. It's, it's, I, what, did you, what did you make of that? I guess it's her largely showing him what it takes to look what I got to do to survive when there's when your dad's not here. You sometimes have to do tough things in life. But I mean, what, what, what that it's it's a very odd thing to to watch. It felt a little bit like a character saying, "Look." Look at, you know, I know you prefer dad, <laughs> but look what I have to do now. Look at, look at, like, this is his fault. Like, trying to make it a, he's not here, but he's still affecting us. Look what you, this is because of him that you have to sit here. Like, this is not your dad, but he's here now. Like, it, there's, there's a lot of, like, unspoken things that, um, to go back to what I said earlier, I think, like, he's internalized and will probably come out 20 years later in therapy or something like that. It's, it's, it's one of those things that leaves open a little bit to interpretation. I like that they, they made her – they made all the characters make interesting choices that you don't normally see in a movie and then don't necessarily explain them. The characters talk about their feelings sometimes. But there's also a lot that's unsaid, but, uh, and there's a lot that you see in people's eyes. Yeah, and I, and I like that. I mean one of the decisions which we touched on at the uh, very beginning of the movie uh, – the very beginning of our discussion though was about uh, uh, Jerry making that decision to go fight wildfires for $1 an hour. Yeah. Um, it, like you said, it doesn't make a lot of sense on his face. Uh, they don't over-explain it, but I think it's pretty clear that this guy is like, uh, obviously has pride and like this diluted sense of what it means to be a man and all the mm-hmm. machismo that would go into a decision like that. But I mean, it's not like he was doing like the, I get a golf pro. Yes. is a very fancy sounding job, but at the same time he was had the first time we see him at work, he's wiping off a dude's shoes. You know, yeah. he, he's not only on the course, he's having to do like grunt work like that, but he's still, He's rubbing elbows with powerful men, and he probably sees a lot of value in that, and still gets to like be on a golf course, which seems like a high class thing, as opposed to like bagging groceries. And you don't hear him over explain that because a lot of times the man is just going to do the manly thing and not really want to explain his feelings. And yeah. I kind of appreciate the fact that the movie gets that and doesn't feel the need to explain every little decision to you because that was apparent to me just by that guy and his performance. Sure, there's a there's a the movie respects its audience in a way that. Not enough movies do. For sure. Um, I, I'm trying to think uh, where else I wanted to go. I mean, I we were, we were talking a little bit about just the – I brought up that scene where they're at Bill Camp's house. But, I mean, I thought that was another really good example of just um, getting to watch Ed Oxenbold uh, react to stuff. But, I mean, uh, not long after that, you kind of get to that last act of the movie. And I, I'd say we haven't spoiled anything now, but if you are kind of worried about that that thing, I, I'd advise everyone to kind of sign off because I did want to talk about that, that last act and – Joey and I obviously recommend this movie, so if you haven't watched it, you can go watch it and come back and uh, listen to the rest of the podcast. But when uh, when when Jerry does come back, uh, did the movie catch you off guard? Which is kind of how how that develops and how uh, 
up front Jeanette is with him and just the decisions he makes from that point forth? I mean, yes and no. I think we, we sort of established him as a person who doesn't always make the best decisions. And she's sort of become someone who who does what she wants for herself as opposed to for other people. So you should have the natural meeting of those two types of minds. Um, I, think, I mean, it's a little more theatrical and a little more plot than the rest of the film. Right. But it needs to get to the ending. I, I think the ending is very strong and it's open-endedness. But you need to get there. And and the movie needs to get bigger before it can get smaller. Like once once each character is sort of acted out, then they retreat. They retreat back to, oh, okay, that's not that's not how the world works. I, I can't just react to X by doing Y. And we're being a little vague on purpose still. Yeah, and especially Jake Gyllenhaal. His character has the biggest and most extreme outburst. And then almost immediately has to realize, like, oh, okay. That's that's not going to work. It's not going to work for anyone. No one's going to see me as a man for having done this. If anything, I'm going to become a joke to people. And if I want to have a relationship with these people, I need to I need to backtrack and, and sort of start making up for what I've done this entire movie. And there's sort of small steps taken there. Yeah, I mean, I and I, like I said, I'm not really worried about spoiling this, but I, one of the things that I was pretty like at first, I was like really like caught off guard by was this whole I'm going to burn down this dude's house thing. Yeah. Uh, but but before we, before you even get to that, I guess I mean there is that really I mean that scene with him and Joe in the bar is like really really good. I thought because I mean at that point you have uh, watched Joe for this whole movie kind of watch what watch what his mom's gone through largely in response to his dad just leaving them. And yeah. I mean at, at that point it's still a little unclear exactly just how how he does feel about his dad if he does feel close to him to the point where he would need to disclose this stuff to him and even if he doesn't like the 14 year old boy in that situation is probably gonna be be compelled feel compelled to be honest with his dad but i thought it was like a really tense moment getting to that point yeah and and then but then you have him erupt and i'm like oh man is this kind of is this kind of over the top and then when it's pretty quickly resolved i when he, after he does burn the guy's house down you're like shouldn't that guy be in jail and that's what joe reasonably thinks i like that he just had him go to the police station it's like the very common sense thing to think and i'm like yeah, yeah this is really where he wouldn't be in jail but then i thought about it and it actually kind of made sense that they would resolve it in that manner because i'm sure that this very respected figure in the community that bill camp plays wouldn't want to have that full story come out and exactly that what he was doing that led to that happening uh, yeah. it, so it actually made a lot of sense to me the way it quickly resolved, but at the same time, it doesn't like give you like a very clean ending ultimately at the same time, no. like you were saying. And I, I no, it, it makes sense is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, no, it, it ends, it ends on a moment of, of possibility, even though it may not go the way that, that you, you would hope maybe if you're an optimist and it ends with what civility in a weird way, which is interesting considering the movie is all about like falling apart and the way they, they come together is in this very very minor way that could mean nothing and, and could be the first steps towards something. I, I like that, that it ends on, on the, the son has taken the first step for the parents essentially. Cool. And I really like how open, I do like open ended ending endings in general like that. But when they had the time jump, like it was pretty jarring though, to see that, yeah. that, that, that was the family structure at that point. But, and I was like really trying to think it through, like, did this make sense? I mean, I think it was kind of of a piece with the rest of the film and yeah. like i mean it, it becomes very apparent that like as jerry's gone like jeanette realizes like that she really did what even if she doesn't know what she wants she knows she wants more in life so it makes yeah. sense that she would go off to find something else 
And, uh, but at the same time, like, while it is, it does kind of come full circle in that way, it doesn't give you like the happy family at the dinner table at the end completely, but it's still, it's something. It's not, it's not giving you like a complete full, uh, 100% easy resolution, but like there's something there you get to think about. And I, and I like that. Yep. I agree. It's, uh, I think that's part of what makes it so good. And I think, um, like when, when Zoe Kazan wrote Ruby Sparks, I think there's a similar ending. The movie's a little more upbeat, but in the same way, I think, I think you kind of get a little bit about what interests her, at least I'm going to assume that this was somewhat her doing part, at least part with the end. I don't know how the book ends, so I can't say for sure, but just my like film brain thinking, um, yeah, that there's, there's possibilities and then it's up to people to make the possibilities happen. But sometimes you, you may or may not get a second chance. And if you do, yeah, like sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, sometimes you're in a better place. So like the movie leaves open all the possibilities and doesn't really tip its hand, which I think is a good choice. No, for sure. La- last thing I wanted to ask you about, though, is just uh, uh, visually, uh, if you had any specific thoughts about this movie and, and what it accomplishes on that level, because I think it's a pr- pretty beautiful-looking film for an independent movie. And I'm curious if there if, – if you had any thoughts about like when you first saw it and how it does it uh making oklahoma i know they filmed a lot of in oklahoma making that double for montana they filmed a little bit in montana and uh what what did you think they were able to of how they were able to pull that off and just uh uh create this really uh pretty midwestern landscape yeah no it's it's very well shot it's again it never calls attention to itself but the shot choices are all very elegant and simple and the way the camera focuses on maybe a part of the shot that that you wouldn't normally see, you know, or, or it follows when there's an argument going on or someone moving or, or an actual plot moment happening, the camera might follow to a point you might not normally see. There's these little choices and they're not flashy choices, but they're all a bit of personality in the movie that sort of make you feel like you're in a unique spot because I, I'm going to go on limbs and most people who watch the movie will don't live in Montana, never have been to Montana. And it all builds to, sort of place you in, in this version of Montana at this time. You know, you watch a movie set in your hometown in the 60s, and it looks different. But you might get the sense of, oh, okay, I know where that is, and I know how that might feel to be there. This doesn't feel that way, but it also introduces you to the world in a way that you you sort of – you get your bearings about where everything is. It's very, It's very quietly confident. Yeah, ironically, the only movie about Montana that I'd uh, that I or set in Montana I'd ever seen before this was uh, Certain Woman, and mm. uh, ironically enough, I guess Zoe and Paul did uh, Meek's Cut Off with Kelly Reichert, but I that, like that was my only really uh, exposure to that at all, and I and I, I just enjoy that. I just that's one thing I just enjoy about movies, you know. Even if it's even if other parts of the movie don't work for you, if it's set in like a place that can really give me a, a sense of a sense of that place that I've really never been before, and like Certain Women was set in modern day, this is set in the '60s, and it was. It, I thought I just think it's really impressive when a movie can like give you really convey that to you, and th- th- this kind of. I mean, it's kind of relevant to the rest of the story that they're living at a place this remote. I mean, it's implied that they've probably lived at places that aren't so much the middle of nowhere uh, like this, yeah. and that this family, like, uh, and, and just that even Joe wants to stay there, you know? Like, even though it's it might seem like it's a pretty desolate area to us, like, and who knows, maybe to a certain extent, they feel trapped by it. it it's implied at mm-hmm. the end that she's living in Portland, Oregon now, obviously. Yeah. A, a lot more going on there, and that they really bring that community to life and make you feel like, Hey, there is something that, I mean, obviously it looks pretty and looks pretty, uh, daunting though, when they travel up North and they see the wildfires, but that's a pretty 
interestingly shot journey that she and uh, Joe take on the drive up there. But I don't know. Like I just I was just really impressed by it because I'm always like really just impressed when a cinematographer and a director are on the same page like that, and they can create a world like that when you know that they are working with limited resources. For sure. No, what they did on that scale is very impressive. Yeah. All right. Well, Joe, is there any other is there anything I, I didn't touch on or any other other final points you wanted to make or anything else you wanted to convey about this movie before we sign off? No, I think I think you hit on it. The movie, every, I think no one moment or no one aspect of it sells it perfectly. I think the final product is really what, what sets it apart. I mean, it's in my top 10 for a reason. Uh, you know, sometimes you have a movie that, oh, I'm going to rave about the acting or I'm going to rave about the filmmaking, the cinematography, the score, the editing, whatever the individual thing may be. Um, this is a movie where it, each part is good to very good. Maybe not something that you, you shout from the rooftops about, but it comes together in such a way that everything is elevated by the other aspect. It's, it's very symbiotic. The relationship every, every part of the film has with the other part. No, I, I, I totally agree, and I highly recommend highly recommend everyone see it. Uh, at the time you're listening to this, I think it's like just starting to expand into some more theaters that had just been in uh, Los Angeles and New York So um, up until like the last couple of weeks, and uh, we just got it down here in South Florida, so please keep an eye out for it and go see movies like this. It's important to see movies like this, They um, and so, so they continue to get made. Uh, Joey, where can uh, people find more of your stuff? Uh, at the award circuit, uh, I also write for Hollywood news. You can find all my reviews on rotten tomatoes. Now, um, Facebook and Twitter, just my name, Joey Magidson, um, Instagram posting pictures of food and my dog. I'll say, I, I don't know if you're, if your dog's with you right now, but he, he was very good. Sometimes we have, I have guests with dogs that chime in and they, uh, and they make a lot of noise. Uh, so uh, he has very, very few opinions about film ah okay well understandable as usual uh you can find me on twitter at josh jernavoy j-o-s-h-j-u-r-n-o-v-o-y same thing on letterboxd two words joey thanks so much again for doing this uh i, I hope you come back and do it again at some point in the future and every, and i hope everyone uh checks out your work because i've enjoyed uh reading you over the last few years and Everyone Thank else, um, stay tuned for more. I think at some point next uh, after this, I'll have a podcast out on um, probably Other Side of the Wind and Overlord and maybe something on uh, Suspiria. So stay tuned for that, and thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.